Welcome to Immigrants' Journeys. Imagine leaving your home country to settle in a foreign land. What would that feel like? How would you make the transition, and how might that experience change you? The guests on this show share their perspectives and opinions related to their immigrant journey. Listen to find out what challenges they overcame and how they made the transition. In this episode, Bridget from South Africa recounts how a bicycle accident broke just about every bone on the left side of her body and planted a seed that grew into a successful career as a healthcare executive in the United States. Having worked in the emergency department and as a flight nurse, she left South Africa at the age of 29 for London. There, she worked in intensive care units for about a year before moving to the United States with her Irish husband. During my conversation with Bridget, she mentions the diverse landscape of South Africa, the safari or grasslands, mountains, beaches. The intro music coming up is performed by Johnny Clegg and Juluka Saifo Machunu and is called Nkunzi Ailavi Jokomisa. This song takes me to that place. I feel it also captures the pace of life that Bridget portrays. I hope you enjoy it. To learn more about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. Now, let's listen to Bridget's Immigrant Journey. Welcome, Bridget. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're from South Africa. Were you born and raised there? I was. I lived in South Africa till I was 29, immigrated over to the United States. Now, I'm going to give away my age, but immigrated to the States almost 24 years ago now. Between that, I did spend a year in London as well. I'd like to go ahead and start off a little bit with some Afrikaans and just say, well, like, hello and just a general greeting in Afrikaans. So hello is pretty much the same as hello as in English. And, but like, how are you? How's your day going? Is who hand it? Who hand it? Who hand it? Yeah. Who hand it? Where did Afrikaans come from? So South Africa is made from two sets of nationalities that, you know, traveled and made their homes in South Africa. One was from the Dutch, which is where South Africa originated from. And they kind of came on the two coasts. So the Dutch settlers came in and that is very close to like a mixture of German, Flemish. If someone speaks those languages, I can pick up certain words. I can get the gist of the context of what they're trying to say and communicate. And then also the British colony settled in Africa as well. So South Africans are kind of either from the English South Africans or the Dutch South Africans. And although we're both in South Africa, like here in the United States, if you're all the way south to the north, the accents are quite different. English is the primary spoken language, but in the Dutch, Afrikaans for many years was the primary spoken language. So tell me about South Africa when you were growing up. You know, so I grew up in the apartheid era where there was segregation between the blacks and the whites. I grew up in that era and looking back, Growing up in it, you don't really know any difference. It's what you grow up in. It's how you're raised. You don't really even think about it. 
Then apartheid was abolished, and my first college year was the first year that we had African-American, as we know them here in the United States, and we had black students with us. I made really good friends with one of them, and we're still friends to this day. We became really close, and I didn't even think about it as such a big deal. She came home with me for the weekend because her family was out in the rural areas. South Africa being a very great mix of kind of first and third world, almost those extremes at that time. She came home with me and neighbors that I'd grown up with wake up the next day and they'd like painted our cars about why we allowed someone like this into the neighborhood. And then I suddenly realized, and she was like, oh, that's nothing. You know, her name's Annika. She gave me instances about how they couldn't go to the same movie theaters, the same beaches. They had to be home by 10 o'clock at night. And I didn't even realize it growing up that there was this whole, in my own country, this was happening. And then when it was abolished is when I was going through my college, my education really got to understand the impact it had on South Africa as a whole. And really through Nelson Mandela became abolished. He was the primary driver and just an incredible man. But yeah, so growing up in South Africa, I was very fortunate, had a great family, great family support, still really close to them, great education that I was afforded to. But not everybody was afforded that same opportunity, depending on where you were born and who you were born to. But that since has abolished, although still faces challenges. You grew up more in an urban area? I did, yeah. So I grew up, I was born in a pretty rural area. But then my family, my mom and my dad moved to a, like we would think about an urban area today, a city area. So I ended up growing in a city, but I was born on a farm and lived on a farm till I was an early teenager. So I have those fond memories of the early farm life. I think that's why I liked living in Nashville because I'm 20 minutes from the country. I really got kind of the best of both worlds. I got to spend my early childhood years on the farm and then in the urban areas for kind of my latter tertiary education. I asked Bridget to describe the South African landscape. You know, it has a mixture, not quite as much as here, right? That you can go skiing almost and go to sunshine almost in one day if you took a flight. Not quite those extremes, but it does have mountains kind of in the middle to the country. It has some beautiful coastlines as well. It has amazing, almost what people would consider here safari, where there's grasslands. The indigenous plantation is plants are very different in the areas and much more closely coupled than here. Like you don't have to travel that distance. If you think about it, South Africa can fit in Texas. So it's a very interesting country with the mountains, the coast, some desert, some tropical, and then some grasslands within the state of Texas, for example. I asked Bridget to speak some Afrikaans by saying when she left South Africa. I'm going to have to now remember my words, right? Oh my gosh. All right. I left South Africa when I was 29 years old. So, when I was 29 years old, I left Africa to United States to come. Many who choose to leave their homelands don't take that decision lightly. I asked Bridget what prompted her to make that transition. I left South Africa for a long time to come, because I in the nursing hospital to that. I chose to leave South Africa to come to the United States because I wanted to work in the hospital system here. Richard recalls those first steps on her journey. I got married to my ex-husband 
he was offered an opportunity to transfer. It was supposed to be a three-year contract. Your husband at the time, he was from South Africa or was he from a different country? No, so he was originally from Dublin, Ireland. So we really mishmash of families. And then both of our boys were born in New York. Besides the opportunity that her husband was given to transfer for work, there were some other driving factors that led to Bridget leaving her homeland. Living outside of America, you always get told, oh, everything's bigger and better. And I was like, well, I need to go and see, and I love to travel. So I came over and soon realized that the opportunities afforded here, I would never be able to have those same opportunities back home, as well as where do I want to raise my children? What opportunities do I want to afford them growing up in a country that you could really, if you set your mind to do it, do anything, which does not hold true in South Africa. I wasn't clear if Bridget was referring to post-apartheid policies, the economy, or other aspects that supported her decision to leave. So I asked her to expand. It's really a combination of all of them. So I think apartheid, they had to write what was done and really start employing fairly across the industries. So that obviously diminished a lot of the job opportunities for the families that I worked with and the families that I was in. Also, the education system is mainly a government system, like you think you like your state schools, your public schools, that because there was such a catch-up through apartheid, they really did lower the passing standards much lower. And then the economy that there, a lot of it was around like the minerals, the diamonds is known for South Africa, a lot of the sugar plantation, a lot of the fields, the crops, the farmlands. But because, again, if you think of you, if you just had one state, you only need so many doctors or you need so many attorneys or you need so many engineers. And it's the top of those in each of those categories that will be afforded that opportunity. As well as then, even if you went and got your degree, if there's not a demand for it, you wouldn't have that same ability to work in any field that you could here because there's such a need for it. I remembered my conversation with Karin from Argentina and how politics played a role in who was hired. I asked Bridget if she experienced something similar in South Africa. It does, and still today. So even today, if let's just use that in the company, they want to make sure that there's racial equity across the companies. So first in would be, and depending on how that company structured today, my first would be in a African-American male, a black male, female, then your Indians. And really today, a white male is near the bottom. Uh, however, that has led to a lot of people starting up their own companies because that's how they found their way to be able to be employed. Now it is getting a little better, but it's still not quite where it was. So in South Africa, you can't own a business if you don't have a certain number of black employees. You can't own a business and you can't get certain licenses. But, and if you think about it, the ratio probably, when I say black as well, it's very misleading because there's so many different tribes in South Africa. It's not just one. You know, there's a lot of tribes in South Africa that make up the population and it's probably about 80% are black in South Africa. So that's what you would expect to see in your companies. So that's where it is difficult and politics does play into it. Is there a lot of tribalism still today? 
Not as much as there was in the rural areas, yes. Going to nursing school there, I learned so much. Like, it was insane how much that impacted beliefs, healing. Like, a lot of time, the black tribes would go to what they call their Sangoma, which in this, you think of almost a witch doctor. But their Sangoma, they would treat them with the natural plant shrubs, roots out there, and often only seek modern medicine towards the end if that didn't heal them. And often they would have adverse complications or expire, die, but they would then blame that on modern medicine, not understanding all the front end that it took them a while to seek treatment. So that does have an impact, definitely, as well as a lot of the racial entry is as well between tribes wanting to have the land. So even though people think of racism, black against white, I worked in an emergency room during one of the bombings and coming in, we had to separate the, at that time, the Kosa and the Zulu people from each other because they would literally try and kill each other in the emergency room. And it was between them, not necessarily between white and black at that point. The two tribes, it was the Zulu and who else? Kosa. X-H-O-S-A, Kosa. And they, in the South African or in Africa, they say Kosa. They use that clicking sound for the tribe. But that's, you know, there's Swahili, there's Northern and Southern Sutu. There's a lot of other tribes here. I think there's now eight official languages in South Africa because of all the tribes. Not only is Bridget a registered nurse, she has a master's degree as well as degrees in psychology, community, and midwifery. Starting off in an emergency department in a South African hospital, now as a healthcare executive, Bridget focuses on bringing strategic healthcare products to market. Knowing Bridget, she had shared with me a personal experience that started her on her career path. I asked her to share it here. Yeah, so I was 16 and I was on my bike. I don't actually remember the accident, but I was knocked over on my bike and broke almost every bone on the left side of my body, bar my fingers and toes, and ended up in the hospital for almost eight weeks in traction. And then after that, another six weeks in plaster cast from my rib cage all the way down to my toes on the side that I broke the bones. And being in hospital, seeing what the nurses and doctors had to do every single day. And at that point, I was like, I'm not sure how I want to be when I grow up. Seeing that and experiencing that and getting care from them was like, that's what I want to do. I want to go into healthcare. I want to make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, thinking like the difference they made for me and the extra things that they would do because I was there for so long, they would wheel my bed to the window. Something so small made such a difference. I could look outside instead of having to look at four walls and a curtain. So those little things make a difference. And I was like, if I can make that difference for a few people, that's what I wanted to do. And up to that point, I had no clue what I was going to do. I handed Bridget the mic and asked her if she would like to say anything to those who treated her. Sure. So if I had to say thank you to them, I'd say, buy a donkey, but if one look at may afforded it. Did, did boss and still is with me. Know that act in these states. So basically thanking them and still remember it and still thankful for it, even though I'm now over in the States. That is just such a great story. And what a catalyst that really sparked your entire career. Tell me more about how you became a nurse and what it was like working as a nurse outside the U.S. as compared to in the U.S. 
I applied to med schools and to nursing schools. In South Africa, there are no scholarships and there are no student loans. So you have to pay to go to school or you get what's called a bursary where a company sponsors you to go to school and then you have to work for them for a couple of years post-schooling once you graduate. And if you don't graduate, you basically have to pay them back a portion of it. If you go to nursing school, while you're in school, they're actually paying you a small salary and you get housing. So for me, when I got accepted into nursing school, it was almost a no-brainer that I could get paid while I was studying. I wouldn't come out with any loans that I had to take out myself because there are no student loans. And you could walk into a career straight away. Plus, it's what I wanted to do. That kind of led me down to that path. And then working in South Africa, I was a flight nurse in an emergency room for a while, then ended up running and managing the emergency room, decided as a lot of South Africans do to go backpacking around Europe. Although I used London as my base, I spent a year working in London in the intensive care units and then went back to South Africa for about another year, ran the same emergency room, went back to the same one, and then came over to the States and was going to practice here. One of my very first calls I went out on realized that your scope of practice as a registered nurse here is nothing like it is in South Africa. In South Africa, you just treat what you see in front of you. You don't need to ask permission as a registered nurse, or you don't need to do it under the guidance of an MD. So the scope of your responsibilities very different what you're able to do in South Africa compared to what you're able to do here. What about in London? So London, I worked in the intensive care. It was probably in the middle of the two. They, in London, you were afforded some authority to respond to what you were seeing and then kind of checking in with the doc that this is what you did and, you know, sign off. But because it was kind of in a, a stable environment, the people were on a ventilator for the most part or coming off. It was in a stable environment that you could control. So it wasn't like an emergency room where you had to respond. Yes, there were emergencies, but normally that then you went, you pushed an alarm and, you know, the response team came to the bedside, the resuscitation team. Whereas working in an emergency room or on a helicopter landing somewhere, you don't know what you're going to find and you, you don't have a response team at your fingertips just to press a button and they all come running. So it wasn't quite the same, but definitely more oversight in London than South Africa. With respect to the United States, tell me a little bit about your first impressions. Landing and living in New York in the city, I was like, this place doesn't stop. It's noisy. I'm never going to sleep. It was just overwhelming. Things like the choices available here. Like in South Africa, you go and you ask for coffee and you get coffee. You don't really get given you know, how many sugars, cream, what type of milk, what type of sweeteners, how you want it. You get asked for, you know, black coffee or milk, that's it. Walking into your first grocery store and saying, going to buy a pound of ham. And I'd be like, hey, can I get a pound of ham? They were like, well, how do you want ham? I'm like, cooked. They're like, well, ma'am, all our ham's cooked. And then I'm like, well, what are my options? And I feel like, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm still hearing all these options. So a little overwhelming at first, especially with it being New York. And uh, then starting to decide what I wanted to do. I couldn't work at that time because I did not have my green card. So I volunteered at a nursing home until I got my green card, which was a really good thing at that time. So I got to experience a little bit of healthcare, 
realized what they did, how it worked. I'd never heard the words Medicare and Medicaid before. We didn't have that in South Africa. That wasn't a thing. You know, I didn't understand the healthcare system yet at all. So that was a really steep early learning curve. But what I did like was the mix of cultures. I didn't feel like a stranger because almost everyone in New York was strangers. So I didn't feel like a complete stranger. Then moving out to the suburbs like a year later, about 45 minutes north of the city, you know, got to meet some people that were in the suburbs. And because I don't have family here, they quickly became part of my family. So initially culture shock, but then got really used to it very quickly. And then started appreciating the opportunities and what was here and what you could do, especially once I got my green card. And you mentioned culture shock. What were some of those things? Do you remember kind of shaking your head and going, well, that's odd. First of all, we drive on the other side of the road. There's different words for the same thing. In South Africa, you would never say to someone that you're going to smack them on the fanny. It's literally in South Africa, it's a female's vagina. So when the first time I heard a mother say that to their kid in a store, I nearly, I was like, oh my gosh, that's like child abuse. God. So I was like, uh, wow, wow, that's allowed here. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, um, that was um, interesting. <laughs> and then even something as simple as like, I'd say to someone, where's the lift? And they'd be the, what? And I'm like, the lift that goes from one floor to another. They're like, oh, the elevator. So it was more like the language that I didn't think there would be that gap because we all speak English. But the different words for different things, and still now I have to correct myself, you know, find myself using some South African words. The other piece of the culture is how busy it is or was. Now it's my norm, and I've quickly got to it, how busy it is that you can get anything any time of the day. Whereas in South Africa on Sunday, everything just shut down. Like there was never a shutdown period in New York. Like there was no, like, you could find something at three o'clock in the morning. South Africa, that would be, you'd be out of luck. That's not happening. Stores barely open on a Sunday, never mind three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. So that was the other kind of culture shock. I was like, well, when do these people rest and just like take some downtime? Um, the other thing was in South Africa, when you take your first job, you automatically get at least four or five weeks of paid vacation. And when I was told that you get two weeks of paid vacation, plus this crazy constant on the go lifestyle, I was like, that is intense. Uh, but then I was like, okay, I got into it really quickly and uh, now it's the norm. But that was a little bit challenging in the beginning. And probably the other thing is that I suppose because I landed in New York, I mean, you could go out in the middle of the day in your pajamas and no one would care. Whereas in South Africa, if you went to the middle of the jobs, they would be carting you off to the emergency room. Be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you could wear whatever you like in the middle of the day. So that was also a little bit of uh, getting used to. Yeah, the language is really funny. It reminds me in college, I had a girlfriend from the UK from right, right outside of London, and she smoked. And I remember her saying, oh, I'm going to go outside and have a fag. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it's things like that. You're like, uh, and again, we all speak English. What are some foods that you miss from South Africa? 
So the chocolate, <laughs> the chocolate's much creamier. When I asked them, when they said it's got something to do with the temperature, but it's much creamier, I found. So I missed that. I also miss the, what we call chutney, which is like a salsa, but it's more peachy, which I don't get here. The mayonnaise. The mayonnaise is very buttery here to me, whereas like South Africa, it's a more vinegar base. The ketchup took me forever to get used to because literally the ketchup in South Africa's ingredient is just tomatoes. That's it. Nothing else. Pure tomatoes is ketchup there. So very different taste to here. Then as far as like meals, what you call a barbecue here, we call a braai in South Africa. And our braais, we don't do like hamburgers and hot dogs on a braai. We do like lamb chops and we do like ribs. It's like, those are the meat South Africans cooked. It's quite a carnivorous nation. So the braais I miss as well, and it's always on charcoal. So I really miss, those are probably the things I miss. But again, you could just find anything here. I mean, there's a South African restaurant outside in New York and there's a South African restaurant in Atlanta that I found. And then they have biltong, which is a jerky equivalent and then with my sweet tooth, there's quite a few desserts I miss. Now, the chocolate, is that because of the Dutch or European influence, or is there specific cocoa beans that are grown in South Africa? No, that's an interesting question. When I asked them, they said it's something to do with the boiling point is different. Because it does taste different. So it's not even like Swiss chocolate. It's very different. It's probably closer to the British chocolate. Um, that's probably, yeah, so to answer your question, probably comes from the British influence. And I would say a lot of like music and books and television shows that are influential in South Africa are more from the British influence, although there is a large American influence. So I think that certain food came from different countries as well, influenced in South Africa, because it's a relatively young country. Are there specific products or things that you bring to South Africa that people just like? So the kids, it's all the candy, what we call sweets. It's all the Twizzlers and the things that they don't get and Hershey Kisses, which are, you know, the Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are the things that they like to take back. And things that like salad dressings here, you get like your fat-free everything. They like me to take back those. And then coming here, it's normally probably runs a theme with me is all the candy, all the sweets is the chocolates and jelly tarts. But then there are some sauces and spices, like there's a pepper dew spice that you don't get here that I love to put on just about everything. So always bring that back, chutney, mayonnaise, and marmite, which is like a savory spread that goes on toast. It's actually almost the same as Vegemite. That's the equivalent. Although I have found on Amazon, you can order just about anything from anywhere in the world it's bizarre but that's what i end up bringing back with me yeah and people are like yeah that is gross how can you eat that on your toast but i grew up with it like i think having chicken for breakfast and with syrup on is just bizarre like we have waffles for desserts in south africa not for breakfast right but same thing it's just different cultures what about dinner have you ever had chicken and waffles in atlanta yeah it's gross the thought of it. And now I like chicken on its own and waffles on its own. And waffles as a dessert. Yeah, so it's that they're just it's just different cultures, right? And things we may do in South Africa, people will be like, You're doing what? 
Like I put Vegemite on my toast with an egg on top. Like people will be like, well, that's just nasty. <laughs> but it's just what you grew up with and what you know. Tell me more about South African music. Are there any specific bands or songs that capture the South African feel? Yeah, so I would probably say growing up for me, we had Johnny Clegg and Savuka. He was one of the original like South African artists. Now, if you, you can go online and YouTube a lot of the South African artists and it's more the traditional music, like the tribal traditional music, what they call gumboot dancing, where they literally have gumboots on and they dance with gumboots and a lot of hand clapping and like beads around their ankles for the dancing. There's also a lot of Afrikaans music as well that with the Afrikaans people is really, really popular that is played nowhere else in the world because no one understands Afrikaans anywhere else in the world. So it's only South Africa that listens to Afrikaans music and Afrikaans comedians. But there are some bands in South Africa that have made it, but nobody that you would be like, oh yes, I know them. It's more on the like sporting side and the like the actress, everyone knows Charlize Theron, right? That she came from South Africa. There was this guy by the name of Steve Hoffmeyer. Steve Hoffmeyer, he played at that stage when I was like 16, he was probably the Afrikaans singer that we would listen to. And they're cute, corny songs. What do you miss the most from South Africa? Friends and family. And it's not even that I haven't made great friends here, but it's your college friends, you know, your childhood friends. Those are the ones I would say that I miss the most. And then my family that I could just go and see or go and see my mom or my brother or my dad. Those are probably the things I miss the most. If I could have them here, then I would never need to go back. How often do you go back? I try to go back every year. I didn't go back for two years over COVID, but I try to go back every year and my mom tries to come out every year. And then my kind of childhood friend just moved to Canada. So I'll be able to see her there. And that'll be good. But I do target back every year, but it's changed a lot. Being away for now over 20 years, South Africa's changed a lot in those 20 years. Was that Annika who moved to Canada? No, that was Angie, Angela, my other friend. Annika's still in South Africa. She's in politics. So she's doing good and she's trying to make changes. How do you think being an immigrant, maybe even specifically from South Africa, shapes your views or your perspectives? How does it impact your day-to-day work here in the U.S.? I think that I was very fortunate when I came to the U.S. I, I was under some great leaders and mentors, so I was afforded a lot of opportunities. I think I look at it that way. So be thankful for what you have. Appreciate what you have because it's not afforded to everybody. And try and help others along the way as well, as much as you can. But then also be behind a company that has a mission, that is a little mission-driven, that's not just more of the same, but somebody that's looking to change things in healthcare and make it better. I think that that has stayed with me. One thing I've noticed, and now it makes sense, because when you mentioned that in South Africa and even in London, you had more autonomy. I definitely, knowing you, I definitely see you being much more of a leader because, and maybe it's because of that. What do you think? I definitely think coming straight out of nursing school and going to work on a 
helicopter was going to sink or swim. <laughs> so I was used to obviously making as best an informed choice as you can. And also knowing when you, okay, this isn't a decision I can make. I need other people in this. It's not my skill set. Also knowing what my skill set is and is not like Santiago, like using your skill set, you know, whereas probably I couldn't do the things you do. Right. But I had to know, you have to know, it. but then leaning in where, you know, you can drive value and bring value to the table and leaning into that, but then not overstretching your skis. It's not your area either, but it also gives you confidence in when you do know it, do it. But yes, I think my early, really early career with nursing in the emergency room, thinking on my feet really quickly because you have to, did set kind of a framework to where I am. Do you meet a lot of people from South Africa in the U.S. now? There's a South African group here in Nashville that's called Friends of South Africans. I've gone to two or three of the events, haven't in a while, but I don't meet that many. But when I do meet somebody who knows a South African, they always want to know if I know that South African. And depending on the area, you could if it's a large family. But there are certain areas of the states that there are more South Africans because it's closer to the lifestyle in South Africa that they're familiar with, as well as the weather that they're familiar with. So Florida and Atlanta are kind of two places that there's large groups of South Africans. And pretty large communities in those two areas. Being an immigrant from South Africa, how do you find yourself relating maybe to immigrants from other countries? I can understand where they're coming from, especially when they're, you know, overwhelmed, asking questions, and also seeing that they appreciate where they're at as well. I think that often comes through is that there's a lot more appreciation for it because it's not an expectation. There seems to be a lot more appreciation for where they are because it's not just expected that you're automatically going to get this or get something. You have to work for it. And then you can get it and then appreciating the opportunity. As well as I think that I probably have a lot more patience. In my conversation with Maria from Italy, she grew up with her parents speaking Italian at home. She mentioned that as an adult, she's much more patient listening to people from other countries with accents. Her observation is that most of her American peers typically give up and try to find someone who speaks their language rather than take the time. And try and help and understand. Yeah. And because I know like when I'm on the phone, even trying to order like a pizza delivery, it's painful. And I'm like, I'm speaking English. <laughs> and the automated voice prompts, the way I say yes, for some reason, they don't understand. And then they keep saying, sorry, can you repeat that? And I end up screaming into the phone. It drives me. And then I just press zero 500 times until I get to operator because they don't understand it. It's so frustrating. So I can just imagine. It's very frustrating. That is something I wanted to talk to you about is accent. Tell me more about how people react to your accent. It has its good and its bad because I would say that normally if I'm like doing a presentation within the first minute or two, I'll let people know I'm from South Africa because otherwise the first three or four minutes, they're not necessarily listening to what I'm saying. They're trying to figure out where I'm from. Yeah. They're like, where is she from? Ah, is that London? No. Is that New Zealand? No. And then I eventually become the English lady, unless they know somebody South African, and then they identify with the South African. 
But I do think that sometimes people listen more because I have an accent. But it also, like, if I reach out to someone I haven't spoken to in two or three years, they may recall me because of my accent. Not necessarily for other reasons. They may be, oh, yeah, I remember you because because I sound different. And I've got so used to it now, I don't hear I sound different um, at all. But invariably, when you're out in the stores, whatever, somebody will say, oh, I like your accent, where are you from? I'm so used to it now, it doesn't faze me at all. I do think you're able to be more memorable because of an accent. If you had a time machine and you could go back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell her and at what age? My goodness, that's a good one. So probably go back to when I was like 25 or 6 and probably say travel more, don't settle down as quickly and then be smart about who you choose to settle down with for the rest of your life. Can you summarize that in Afrikaans? My gosh, Santiago, you're stretching me now. I haven't spoken Afrikaans in 20-something years. Um, as ek terug in my liefde wen, ek, trying to think of that word, I can't think of the word of war. Ek sal met myself praat en sê dat jy moet baie geluk dink voor jy iemand trouw. Yeah, that's probably about as close as I'm going to get. What kind of advice would you give folks back home? You mentioned when you were in South Africa, you had this image of everything so much bigger in the United States. I got to go check that out. Now that you've lived an entire life of that, what message do you want to give back to folks? What's the real vision, if you will, that you want to implant in their minds? I would say do travel, do come and see. There is great opportunity, but do be aware that it's not the same as South Africa. Don't expect you're just going to live the same life. You're also going to have to adapt, but that if you're willing to adapt, work hard, the opportunities are pretty amazing. But the missing and the thinking of South Africa at home, like the South African skies and sunsets, right? That is, you just don't find that. But that's okay because it makes it special. And if you didn't, if it didn't mean anything, then it didn't mean anything. It meant nothing while you were there. Like if there's nothing to miss, then it wasn't, didn't have that impact on your life. I think about like the sunsets, the safaris, which we call the grasslands equivalent, the mountains that are there, just the, the lifestyle that I had. But those are all fond memories and you can make new ones. And then I find myself going home to South Africa for a visit or whatever. And then I'll be like, some of those things are better than I remembered. And some of them, I'm like, it's not what I remembered. I would say to somebody, just take the chance, but do what is right for you. Like, don't let anyone tell you what's right for you. Since you do go back and forth a lot, what are maybe some... South African quirks now that you notice when you travel back? <laughs> South Africans always say, they say these two things, I'll see you just now and I'll see you now now. And when I first came here and I started saying them and I still find myself saying them sometimes, people say, well, when exactly is that? Now now means like it's going to happen really soon. Just now could mean an hour, 
five hours. It's going to get there, but it's going to be just now. I find that that is something that South Africans do, as well as I find that generally South Africans have say please and thank you a lot more. Like it's one of my things here with my kids is like the please and thank yous. But then on the other hand, from going from the north to the south and kids here say sir and ma'am, whereas in South Africa, everyone uses, everyone's an aunt or an uncle, whether they're related or not. Everyone's auntie, this or uncle that and doesn't need to be your family. It's different how kids are brought up. So I noticed in South Africa going back that it's different. Kids are more kids in South Africa to some degrees, especially younger. They're not as entitled or spoilt, but they also have a bigger gap almost to get into adulthood. Yeah, it's it's very different. But at the end of the day, we're all just people. So in thinking through what we've discussed, South Africa, the differences in culture, your travels, what else comes to mind? What else would you like to share with the audience? I just think, Santiago, that being a registered nurse in South Africa, I would never be able to be a CEO in South Africa. Like being able to have risen kind of the corporate business ladder in the States is something that is really unique and especially coming with a nursing background, not from the business side. So that's something I think as an immigrant, that I'm uniquely thankful for that would not have happened in South Africa. I would have maybe gone up to like being an hospital administrator. I could have worked my way up that, but never and truly on the business side, owning P&Ls, getting that experience. And then the people here that have taken time and invested time in me, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them either. So the fact that there is such talent here and I think all walks of life, I don't regret the journey coming at all. I have no regrets. If you figure a way to get my mom over, I'd be perfectly happy, but <laughs> there's no regrets. And is she not moving because you have siblings? I have a brother in South Africa. Yeah, I do. And I have two nephews in South Africa. So, and she's you settled there, you know, she has her life there, so. And you're the one who left, so. I'm the one who left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really am appreciative of you taking the time to, to show your story. Anytime. And, you know, it's been nice to getting to know you as well. Like, same, coming from a different country and finding this and making this your home. The thing I find most fascinating about this is perspective. Like, what I find is that as an immigrant or child of an immigrant where you've just got a different culture you have a very different lens and you start to see things and you start to question it's like well why is it that way and because of that i think it makes us critical not in a negative connotation but in a positive connotation it just really makes us question what is the purpose you look at it through a different lens and you're not afraid to question because you made this move like we're not afraid to question if we need to and challenge the norms. And then how do you say goodbye? Totsins. Totsins. Is goodbye in Afrikaans, yeah. Totsins. <laughs> Totsins, Santiago. Totsins.
Thank you so much. Well, Tevin, speak to you soon. Okay, bye. As I reflect on this episode, not only do I have a renewed appreciation for healthcare workers all over the world, but I'm left with a hunger for South African braai and pepadu sauce. I'd like to leave you with some music from the album Gumboots, original cast recording. The song is called Wait Waity, written by Rashili Gumboot Dancers of Sawida, Zeni Mbuli, and performed by Daryl G. Ivy, Rishili Gumboot Dancers of Sawido, Source Masterworks Broadway. For more information about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. Yeah, who's...